Listen, don't kill anybody. Let me say this to you one more time. Do not kill anybody. Do me a favor. Don't save my life anymore. My pleasure. Clint Eastwood and Burt Reynolds in City Heat. Clint is a street-smart flatfoot. Burt is a wise-cracking gumshoe. And together, the heat is on. It's 1933. The times are tough, and the streets are mean. Clint Eastwood and Burt Reynolds in City Heat. Need we say more? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. And what movie am I looking at this time? I'm looking at City Heat from 1984, starring Clint Eastwood and Burt Reynolds, directed by Richard Benjamin. The movie is set in 1933, Kansas City. And we open up on a rainy street, and we see this figure walking through the rain, and this figure is Clint Eastwood, striking a menacing pose as he walks through the rain. And he walks into this diner, and he sits down, and everybody in the diner turns and looks at him. And these two women see him and get up and walk away. I believe they were supposed to be prostitutes. Uh, they knew he was a cop, so they got up and left. Clint Eastwood has a couple of words back and forth with the, uh, the guy behind the counter. And uh, a couple of big mugs pull up outside. One comes in and say they're looking for Mike Murphy. And that's the Burt Reynolds character. They're looking for they're looking for Burt Reynolds. The guy behind the counter, he's trying to cover, says he doesn't know who he is. The other, the big guy pushes a little more, finds out that he hasn't been in that day. But he comes in there every day about this time to eat. And Burt Reynolds pulls up, and his entrance is he's in a convertible, but it's storming outside, and the roof doesn't work. He's carrying an umbrella. So he's driving around with an umbrella in a convertible. And he gets out of his car, and he goes over to this uh, newsstand, and he takes a flower, and he puts it in his uh, coat lapel. We find out that Burt Reynolds is what they call a fancy Dan. He always wants to look good. He always wants to look his best all the time to put up a front that he's, that he's somebody because he looks... Because he always looks so put together. And he walks in and he starts joking around with the guy behind the counter. And the guy behind the counter calls him a different name. Oh, and I also forgot. So uh, not only is he joking around with the guy behind the counter, but when he sees Clint Eastwood, he starts ribbing Clint Eastwood. We know that Clint Eastwood and Burt Reynolds have a past together. We don't know what it is. It seems from this little going back and forth... There's a little animosity. Uh, Burt Reynolds is really, really digging into Clint Eastwood, and Clint Eastwood is just sitting there stoically drinking his coffee. As I said, the guy behind the counter calls Burt Reynolds a different name. This tips off Burt Reynolds that uh, he might be in trouble because as soon as that happens, another big guy comes in. So there's these huge, two huge palookas, and they both sit down uh, next to Burt Reynolds, and they start questioning him to find out if he is this Mike Murphy. And Burt Reynolds stands up and punches them both out, <laughs> calls him a couple of cupcakes, and then they attack him. So now there's this big brawl in this diner, and Burt Reynolds is, sometimes he's holding his own, sometimes he's getting his ass kicked. It's going back and forth. And while all this is happening, he keeps looking at Clint Eastwood to do something. 
And Clint Eastwood just sits there drinking his coffee, doesn't move a muscle. I'm going to go off on one of these. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. And this is sort of a, a somber uh, tangent alert. I read Burt Reynolds' biography, and this was the movie. He got hit in the face with a chair during this fight scene. And it was supposed to be a balsa wood chair that broke apart, but it didn't. It was a real chair, and it messed up his jaw, and it gave him TMJ, which is, which, I, it just messes up your jaw, messes up your, your face, and it makes it hard to eat. And for years afterwards, uh, it really affected Burt Reynolds' health, because he wasn't able to eat, and he was losing weight, and a lot of people thought that he might have had AIDS. Uh, he finally was able to rectify this problem, but the fight in this bar uh, took years off of his career and uh, and and his uh, reputation took a severe beating because there was just a lot of innuendo going around on why he wasn't looking so good, why he was losing weight. So it had to do with TMJ. Another side note is that uh, Burt Reynolds also said that Clint Eastwood was a real stand-up guy. When he found out Burt Reynolds was hurt, he told everybody to take the day off, or he convinced the director, uh, Richard Benjamin. Clint Eastwood was really at Burt Reynolds' side when this happened. I also want to say that Burt Reynolds is doing this movie without his toupee. So you see his hairline, you see that he's losing his hair, and I can't help, just by coincidence... Right before I watched this movie, I watched the movie The Sunshine Boys. And George Burns was in that movie, and along and a co-star was the director, Richard Benjamin. And there's a scene in the movie where George Burns does a scene without his toupee. And now we're in this movie, directed by Richard Benjamin, and Burt Reynolds is not, used, is not wearing his toupee. I don't know if there's a connection there or not. I just thought it was interesting and a bit of serendipity that I happened to watch that movie right before I watched this movie. Well, one of the thugs bumps into Clint Eastwood, spills his coffee, and you see Clint's eye start to twitch. And Clint gets up, and he just knocks the bejesus out of one guy, and then Burt Reynolds knocks the bejesus of the other guy. So they both go crashing through the front. And Burt Reynolds and Clint Eastwood, they have a very strained relationship. It comes out right here when Clint Eastwood sort of accuses Burt Reynolds of there's something sneaky going on on the street. Right here. You waiting for him to kill me? Are they competitors or have you just had your nose in the wrong hands? There's plenty left for you, you know. Say when. Mike, please, there's not much left. Anytime, Spear. Until then, you watch your step. You hear me? What are you talking about? I'm talking about rumors of a cheap frayed collar holding the shoe peeper who's trying to climb in bed with the wrong kind of snot balls. Of course, that wouldn't be you. You're too much of a fancy Dan. Now we cut to the next day. We see Richard Roundtree. He is walking, looking very, very dapper, just got his shoe shined. Walks into the Murphy and Swift Detective Agency. So, Burt Reynolds is Murphy, and Richard Roundtree is Swift. We cut to Burt Reynolds' office, and his secretary, Abby, walks in. Says those two men from the last night were the repo men, 
and that he owes about 98 bucks on his car, which I guess in 1933 was a lot of money. This scene tells us that Murphy and Swift Detective Agency is probably not doing as well as they would want. Because after we find out that he owes 98 bucks on the car, we hear a door slam, and they think it's the landlord, and they go into this act about how the check is in the mail. How could you not pay the rent? And the secretary knows exactly what happens because she goes right into her part. I'm sorry, I forgot to pay the rent. Back and forth. Obviously, this happens all the time. Obviously, they're light on funds, and obviously, they're way behind on their bills. Well, it wasn't the landlord. It was, of course, Richard Roundtree. And this is 1933. So for a white man and a black man to be sharing an office and a white man and a black man to go into business together, that was very, very progressive for 1933. Uh, this would have stood out. A lot of people would have had a problem with this back in 1933. Richard Browntree comes in with a stack of bills that would choke a horse. And Burt Reynolds is a bit... One thing about Burt Reynolds, I will say this. He has excellent reaction shots. When somebody says something or when somebody does something, nobody reacts to a line better than Burt Reynolds. He, that's his thing. And I've always enjoyed it when he does that. Nobody reacts better than Burt Reynolds. Richard Roundtree starts dealing out the money. He pays for the rent. He pays for the secretary, her salary. They haven't paid her in months. He actually gives her a bonus. And Burt Reynolds tells her to leave the room. And Burt Reynolds has a talk with Richard Roundtree about the rumor about a detective, something going on, something shady going on with a detective. And Richard Roundtree is sort of playing it off. Burt Reynolds knows that it's Richard Roundtree, this shady deal that's going on. He also knows that Richard Roundtree is not as good as a detective as he is. He doesn't want Richard Roundtree to get in over his head. That's what he's worried about. You can actually see the worry in Burt Reynolds' eye. He really cares for this man, who is his partner. Richard Roundtree is not taking any of this seriously. He thinks he has this all under control. And which we'll find out later, he does not. Richard Roundtree leaves. Secretary Abby comes back in, gives Burt Reynolds her bonus to pay off the car. And then Burt Reynolds... This is something that happens in all these old movies where he passionately kisses his secretary without asking and this is 1933 way before all way before now this is 1930 it wasn't you know it wasn't right back then but it was just something that happened back then and but she doesn't seem to mind it seems like she was wanting Burt Reynolds to kiss her and they they both have a little flirty moment, which is not going to make sense later in the film, and I'll explain that when I get to it. Now we cut to a dinner club, and we see Irene Cara singing, and I believe this is supposed to be a cotton club. That's what they called an all-black uh, entertainment, on a place where you could go, uh, where African Americans could know and, and not be hassled. So this is an underground uh, club, and Irene Cara is singing, and Richard Roundtree walks in, and they make eye contact. So we find out that Rich, Irene Cara and Richard Roundtree, they are a couple. Richard Roundtree goes into the back and goes into Irene Cara's dressing room, and there's this uh, white guy there. Richard Roundtree gives this guy some money, and he gives him a passport, and he gives him 
a uh, ticket on a steamship. The white guy gives Richard Roundtree a bunch of ledgers. And we're going to find out. The, 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 the ledgers are the MacGuffin in this movie. The white guy leaves and he says, whatever you do, you can't tell Pitt until after I leave. So we get the name Primo Pitt. That's going to come into play as well. The white guy leaves. Irene Cara comes in. They kiss. Richard Roundtree is on cloud nine. He thinks he's got this all under control. Irene Cara is not so sure about this. She's really, really worried because Richard Roundtree is playing some sort of game with the two big underlords in the city. And she just wants him to get out. And he's just like, nope, we're not getting out. This is our big time. This is our payday. And once this happens, I can give you anything you want. Because Richard Roundtree says, after this happens, ain't nothing left but the good times. And when a character says that, he's as good as dead. Now we're back at Burt Reynolds' apartment. Phone rings. Madeline Kahn's on the phone. Madeline Kahn is in this movie. This movie is full of great character actors. You got your two great lead actors, and you got a lot of great character actors. And it's Madeline Kahn! And Madeline Kahn is Burt Reynolds' squeeze. I think Burt Reynolds might be a ladies' man in this because he kisses his secretary, but he's obviously carrying on with Madeline Kahn because he says he's been with her the entire the entirety of last week. And she wants him to come to a party that she's throwing on Friday. And they go back and forth. There's a little bit of flirting. He hangs up. Phone rings again, and Burt Reynolds starts flirting into the phone, and this time it's Clint Eastwood. And Clint Eastwood tells him that he better stop that or he's going to bust a foot off in his ass. Clint Eastwood is calling because he has a couple of tickets to the fight, and he wants Abby's phone number. Burt Reynolds' secretary. So this is why the kiss, the weird kiss thing earlier, it's like, obviously, Burt Reynolds is involved with at least one other woman, and Clint Eastwood is asking out Abby, and Burt Reynolds is not telling him no. That this that kiss, was it just stood out. It was, I think, it, it's a strong enough relationship between Burt Reynolds and his a secretary without adding a sexual element to it. Those characters work well as boss and secretary. The, the romance, the, the sexual tension didn't need to be thrown in, my opinion. Clint Eastwood hangs up, and when he does, Burt Reynolds picks up a picture of himself and Clint Eastwood both in uh, police uniforms. So they were in the police together at one point. Now we cut to the fight, and Clint Eastwood is at the fight with Abby. They're enjoying it. They're on a date. Abby seems to be enjoying Clint Eastwood's company. And as this is happening, Richard Roundtree walks into the fight. And Abby's going to flag him down, and Clint Eastwood like, takes her arm, holds it down. And at this point, I don't... This is what I don't know. I don't know if Clint Eastwood asked Abby out because he liked her, or I don't know if he asked Abby out because he knew Richard Roundtree was going to be there, and he wanted her with him in case he needed to talk to him. That was a bit ambivalent to me. I don't know how much Clint Eastwood knows because he keeps dropping... He knows about these rumors about a detective doing something shady. And he's obviously figured out that it's Richard Roundtree. Did he know he was going to be there? Or is he dating Abby because he likes her? And I don't know if that was meant to be kept open 
it was just up to us, the audience, to figure out what's going on. Well, after the fight, Leon Cole comes up to Richard Roundtree. The boxing, the uh, the arena is empty. It's just Richard Roundtree leaning on the on the boxing ring, smoking a cigarette. And Leon Cole shows up with a couple of his guys. And one of Leon Cole's henchmen is Larry from the Newhart Show. My name's Larry. This is my brother Daryl. This is my other brother Daryl. Well, it's Larry. I don't know where his brothers are, but Larry is there. Cole is getting upset with Richard Roundtree because Richard Roundtree is being a bit uh, aloof. So he just punches Richard Roundtree in the stomach. Now, here is the deal. This is the whole plot of the movie. The guy in the dressing room was Leon Cole's bookkeeper. And what Richard Roundtree did was he talked Leon Cole's accountant to steal Leon Cole's books. And he is going to sell those books to Primo Pitt, who is the other mob boss in the city. And Primo Pitt is going to use those ledgers to put Leon Cole out of business. But what Richard Roundtree is doing is a double, double cross. He's not going to give the books to Primo Pitt. He is going to double cross Primo Pitt and give the ledgers back to Leon Cole. Well, not give back, but sell them back to him for $50,000. Richard Roundtree has put himself smack dab in the middle of the two biggest crime lords in Kansas City. And he's hoping, after he sells the books back to Leon Cole, that Cole will give him protection against Pitt. And Leon Cole says, okay, I will buy the books back from you for $50,000. Richard Roundtree leaves. Clint Eastwood and Abby are sitting outside. They have not gone home. Clint Eastwood is staking out Richard Roundtree, and Abby is not happy about this. And Clint Eastwood, being a cop, says, I'm doing this for his own good. So Richard Roundtree goes back to his apartment. And he goes up into his apartment, and Irene Cara is there, but so is Primo Pitt, played by Rip Torn, another fantastic character actor. So Rip Torn found out that Richard Roundtree has the ledgers, and he found out that he may be double-crossing him. So Primo Pitt has Irene Cara, and Primo Pitt is up there with a couple of his guys. And Richard Roundtree has this suitcase with them, and Primo Pitt demands the suitcase. And before he can give it to him, Richard Roundtree just starts swinging the suitcase around, starts knocking the guys around. Irene Cara gets up and runs away. Rip Torn just yells, get her! So one of his men go after Irene Cara, and during the scuffle, Richard Roundtree is shot. And this shot brings Clint Eastwood out of his car, running up the stairs to find out what's going on. Rip Torn opens the suitcase, and it's empty. Richard Roundtree did not have the ledgers on him. He made a switch somewhere. Rip Torn is so angry that he and his other henchmen throw Richard Roundtree out of a window, and he lands on the car where Abby is sitting, and his head goes on the windshield. Cliche number 45 in an action movie. A man gets thrown out of a building, lands on a car, and his head shows woman screams. And scene. Clint Eastwood goes running up the stairs. 
one of Primo Pitt's guys is there. They start shooting at each other. And Clint Eastwood empties his gun into this guy. And this guy is a beast. And he keeps going. And he starts shooting back at Clint Eastwood after Clint Eastwood put six bullets in him. He gets to the elevator and he pushes a button and the door opens and it's Primo Pitt and his other henchmen. And Primo Pitt just shoves this guy back into the hallway, shuts the door and goes down. No honor amongst thieves. And Clint Eastwood ends up uh, putting this guy down. He also knows that Irene Caro is there because she ran past him in the hallway uh, before all the gun fighting started. We are now at the morgue. Burt Reynolds is there with Clint Eastwood to identify the body. Once again, we go back and forth. Clint Eastwood and Burt Reynolds work fantastic together. And I know I, I did a podcast of the the Dan Aykroyd podcast of The Great Outdoors with uh, Dan Aykroyd and John Candy. And I, and I said in that episode that John Candy and Dan Aykroyd were great together. And their scenes apart were not good as the scenes together. This movie is different. Their scenes together are great, but I also enjoy the scenes where they're not together. This is a complete movie where I enjoy Clint Eastwood's scenes, I enjoy Burt Reynolds' scenes, and then I enjoy the scenes where they're together. It really, really works for me in this movie. And Burt leaves, and it's raining again, and a couple of Leon Cole's men grab him and throw him into a car, and now Leon Cole thinks that Burt Reynolds was in this with Richard Roundtree because they're partners. He wasn't. This was all Richard Roundtree's deal. Burt Reynolds doesn't let him know that he doesn't know what's going on. And Burt Reynolds says that, yes, he will get the ledgers back for $50,000. Now we cut to Richard Roundtree's funeral. This is, this is a, a very unique funeral scene in the fact that there's no word spoken. There's just a man playing the saxophone. And usually in a funeral scene or a cemetery scene, we have the the preacher, you know, dearly beloved, we are gathered here. And there's usually people talking at a funeral, uh, giving exposition. This was a totally silent funeral, except for the saxophone playing in the background. And it's very, very powerful, and it works very, very well. It's a very nice scene where you didn't have to say a word, but you got the emotions of everybody across. Now we're back. Burt Reynolds' apartment. He walks in. It's trashed! And sitting in his chair is Clint Eastwood. He's drinking gin out of a furniture polish bottle. They're looking for the ledgers. And now Clint Eastwood knows that Burt Reynolds is involved with this. So right now Burt Reynolds has Primo Pitt and Leon Cole and Clint Eastwood all on his tail. They're all after these ledgers. Burt Reynolds is the guy in the middle. Clint Eastwood points out that there is a couple of Primo Pitt's men outside. And he leaves, and Clint Eastwood goes down and confronts the two men staking out Burt Reynolds' hotel. Here's what happens. It's against the law to lie down in the middle of the street. I never laid down on the street. Sure you did. You were hit by a truck. What truck? The next one that comes along. Look, Lieutenant. No, you look. I don't like sledge like you, you understand? In fact, it wouldn't break my heart at all to scrape the street clean of your ilk. You know what an ilk is, don't you, Doug? A big deer. Yeah. Now, if I catch you loitering around my precinct again, I'm going to shoot me an elk, you understand? All right, throw your cannons out the window. Come on, I hear a truck coming. The next scene, Burt Reynolds goes to the Underground Club. 
looking for Irene Kara. She's not there. He talks to the guy in charge for a bit. One of my points that I make in all my podcasts are, does this scene need to be in a movie? What does this scene do to move the movie forward? Burt Reynolds comes in and says, Richard Roundtree was here last night, right? What time? About 8 o'clock. And that's it. And he leaves. It's a short scene, but it doesn't need to be in the movie. It just stands out. And the reason I say this is because besides this scene, all the other scenes I feel need to be in the movie. There's no other scene in this movie for padding. All the other scenes deliver a plot point or exposition or character development. This is the one little scene that does not need to be in there. That's why it stands out so much to me. Clip it and get it out of there. Other than that, the movie does a great job of including scenes that we need and not including scenes that we don't need. Burt Reynolds goes to Madeline Kahn's house during the party and basically just swoops in and takes her upstairs to have sex. He's there for 30 seconds and he grabs her and he goes upstairs. And while this is happening, Clint Eastwood is in Primo Pitt's house. He's staring down at Rip Torn, and he grabs Rip Torn's gun that's on a uh, on a desk right next to his bed because he's sleeping. And Clint Eastwood points the gun right at Rip Torn's head, and Rip Torn thinks he's going to blow him away, and he just moves the gun over a few feet and shoots the bullet into the pillow and takes the bullet. This is 1933, and this is Clint Eastwood as a police officer. And let's just say... He bends the rules as a police officer. He breaking and entering, taking private property without a warrant. He does a lot of stuff. He goes outside the law to get a lot of stuff done in this movie. And we cut back and Burt Reynolds and Madeline Kahn had just had sex. But they had PG movie sex because they're both in their underwear. Because the one thing I like to do is after making mad, passionate love is put my underwear and t-shirt back on and then the lie back down. That's the thing to do instead of, you know, basking in the afterglow. Well, Madeline Kahn is such a wonderful comedian and such a wonderful actress. She has a great scene. I'm just going to put it in because I love this scene right here. I'm kind of scared, Mike. It'll be light soon. I'm falling in love with you, Murphy. Real love. It scares me. I know what you mean. Say that again? Well, I should be running. It's getting a little late, you know? You son of a bitch! You can't say it, can you? What? You tried, but you couldn't, you big palooka. Where are you going? I pour my heart out and you put your pants on, you dope, big palooka dope. Son of a bitch. The next day, Burt Reynolds is at his office. His secretary, Abby, gives him a letter that Richard Roundtree mailed to himself. And they open the letter and it is a pawn ticket. And just as he opens the letter, uh, Rip Torn walks in with one of his thugs and Burt Reynolds tells her to well, go pick up his laundry. And he hands her the pawn ticket. And Rip Torn and Burt Reynolds go back and forth for a little bit. Well, it turns out that Rip Torn has kidnapped Madeline Kahn. And if Burt Reynolds does not get the ledgers for him, he will kill Madeline Kahn. So now, 
Burt Reynolds has to work for Rip Torn or else Madeline Kahn dies. We go to the pawn shop, whatever it was, Abby picked up and put in her purse. Clint Eastwood shows up at the apartment right after they open up the pawn. It's a medal of honor that was at the pawn shop. So now it's Clint Eastwood, Burt Reynolds, and Abby. And while this is happening, it's a phone call from Irene Cara, and she tells him to meet her at a park. She doesn't say what time, just a certain part, and she hangs up. And while this is happening, Burt Reynolds is studying the metal, and he pulls open, and there's a fake bottom on the metal, and there's a key in there. And this triggers it, so he thinks, obviously, this is what he was trying to hide, the key. And he walks out, and Clint Eastwood and Abby have a slight moment together, and then Clint Eastwood leaves. We see Burt Reynolds waiting in the park for... Irene Cara to show up. Like I said, she didn't say what time, so he's just waiting there, waiting there, waiting there for her. And while this is happening, we cut to Leon Cole. And Leon Cole has found out that Primo Pitt has kidnapped Madeline Kahn. And now he thinks, well, okay, obviously Burt Reynolds is working for Rip Torn, Primo Pitt, and he's not going to give me the books since this guy has Madeline Kahn. So Leon Cole sends his guys after Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds finally goes back to his car and there's a ticket to a movie theater on his car windshield. And we cut to the movie theater and there's Irene Cara there and she's crying. There's this uh, guy sitting next to her, this white guy sitting next to her, giving her a hard time. And she just wants him to go away. And he says, you better be nice to me. You should be sitting in the back anyway. Ouch. Yeah. Well, Burt Reynolds comes in and this guy takes a powder and Burt Reynolds convinces her to go to Clint Eastwood. Said, He'll, you're a witness. Primo Pitt is going to kill you. You were at the scene of the shooting. You're the only person that can put him there. So go to Clint Eastwood and he'll give you protection. And while he's questioning her, he finds out if anything new was happening with Richard Roundtree. And she said that he'd recently joined a gym. And Burt Reynolds leaves. And he walks up to this beat cop, and he starts talking to him, and this is what he says. Evening. Yeah. All right, so cold tonight. Makes you want to be a boilermaker, huh? How the hell would you know? Because I was pounding the beat, and you were still peeing in your pants. Because I used to freeze my ass off right on the same street. So many times, I thought about becoming a boilermaker. Yeah, I was a hotshot like you. Didn't have any respect for the badge or the uniform. I got my own business now. You know what I'm doing? I'm still freezing my ass off and taking a lot of flack from a snot-nosed rookie like you. Uh, I'm sorry. Ain't we all? And right after that, uh, Burt Reynolds asks, are there any gyms on 10th Street? And he goes, yeah, that was my old beat. There's Riverside Gym. And Burt Reynolds walks away. And as soon as Burt Reynolds walks away, Clint Eastwood was there. And he just startles the beat cop. Oh, Lieutenant, I didn't see you there. Clint Eastwood is keeping himself abreast. Burt Reynolds says that'll keep him in the loop. But he doesn't really trust him at this point. Now Irene Cara leaves the movie theater. And she sees Rip Torn's guys uh, coming after her. And she runs to the street. She gets, whap, hit by a car. Boobity boobity boo. And Clint Eastwood is there and... So now she's out of action. They don't know if she's dead, but she was definitely injured in this accident. 
Burt Reynolds goes to the Riverside Athletic Club, finds Richard Roundtree's locker, opens it, and there are the, the ledger. The key that he sent himself was the key to his locker. And at the bottom of his locker are the ledgers. He takes the ledgers back home. He opens them up with Abby. And all the information could sink Leon Cole. It could put him to jail. And it will make Rip Torn, Primo Pitt, the number one crime boss in Kansas City. And Burt Reynolds is about to deliver it to Primo Pitt. But before he does, Primo Pitt's guys you know, shoot at him through his front door. I'm guessing Primo Pitt doesn't think that Burt Reynolds is going to live up to his end of the deal and bring him the ledgers. So he sent a couple of guys to get it. And here is the point of the movie. Here's a little story. My grandfather took me to see this movie in theaters. 1984. Oh, what? I was 15, 16? No. I had to be younger than that. I wouldn't be going to my grandfather with that. In 84. Yeah, I was 15. So I went to the movies with my grandfather at 15. And we saw this movie. And I distinctly remember during this point of the movie, he leans over to me and goes, this is too much. Because we have a gunfight. And I timed it. And this gunfight goes on for 40 for 40, not 40. This gunfight goes on for 4 minutes and 37 seconds. It's just shooting between Burt Reynolds and uh, Rip Torn's men and Leo Cole's men and Clint Eastwood. All of them are on the street just shooting the street up. This happens, this goes on for close to 5 minutes. And it finally ends when Clint Eastwood... During all this shooting, Burt Reynolds is hiding. And then Clint Eastwood just shows up and he walks down the street with a shotgun and he just starts shooting everybody. He's shooting at everybody. Nobody gets killed. Actually, everybody gets away, but this one guy gets shot in the butt. So now he's got a butt full of buckshot. But everybody gets away. And Clint Eastwood is angry at Burt Reynolds for holding out on him. And Burt Reynolds tells him that I had to hold out on you. They have Madeline Kahn. If I don't deliver them, they'll kill her. Clint Eastwood, showing a soft spot. He could have arrested Burt Reynolds there, but he doesn't. He lets Burt Reynolds do his thing to deliver the ledger to Primo Pitt and get Madeline Kahn back. And Burt Reynolds says he also has a plan to capture everybody. Burt Reynolds is driving, and we see this garage, and he just crashes into this garage, and it's ripped torn, Primo Pitt's garage. He just crashes in there, and he's holding the suitcase. Primo Pitt is like, let's kill this guy. And Burt Reynolds says, if you kill me, you're going to blow yourself up because in, there's dynamite in this suitcase. And if you shoot me, I'll drop the suitcase, and we're all going to go boom. Rip Torn's men think that it's real. Rip Torn thinks it's a bluff. Rip Torn takes his gun out and is about to shoot the luggage. And uh, this is when Clint Eastwood walks in. Shorty. Hi. Is this a private party or can anybody attend? I thought you were going to set this one out. I lied. Oh. What are you pointing the gun at the suitcase for? It's dead already. Well, what if I shoot me a live cop? Well, I'd give the 20 officers I have outside uh, just cause. 
check it out. Hey! I gotta go to the bathroom. You stay where you are. <laughs> Wait, he cops. You're as nuts as him. We're nuts. He's the one who's got the drop on the luggage. It's all that corruption. It corrodes their brains. He says it's full of dynamite. Is it? Well, two sticks of dynamite and a hand grenade. What were you going to do after you dropped it? I don't know, Ollie. And we have another gunfight. This gunfight is not as long. It only lasts about three minutes. So within a 15-minute length of film, we had about eight minutes of gunfight. It doesn't sound a lot, but when you didn't have a lot of gunfighting before, and you're not going to have a lot of gunfighting after, it's just really weird that this this it's just concentrated right here at this spot in the movie, all these gunfights. Clint Eastwood ends up shooting Rip Torn, and Burt Reynolds is upset. It's like, if you shot him, you shot him. How are we going to find out where Madeline Kahn is if you shot him? And then they figure out that the guy they shot in the butt there is an underground doctor that he will go to. And they're pretty sure that this guy can tell him where Madeline Kahn is. And they go to this underground doctor, and this guy is about to pull all these buckshot out of this guy's ass when Burt Reynolds and Clint Eastwood shows up. And they ask him where Madeline Kahn is. He says he doesn't know what they're talking about. And then Burt Reynolds pours ether on his ass full of buckshot and lights it on fire. Once again, there is a cop there. Primo Pitt is holding her in a whorehouse. And Clint Eastwood and Burt Reynolds drive by and they find out that there's one guard on the ground and there's one guard on top of the building. To take out the guard on the ground, they're walking along and Burt Reynolds pretends to be drunk. And then they, they attack him and punch him. And then Clint Eastwood sends Burt Reynolds to attack the guy on the roof while he's going to go in through the front door. And there's this big nice car driving around and Clint Eastwood jumps into the car and he pulls his gun out and he tells the guy in the back of the car to take his clothes off and now we cut to Madeline Kahn she's playing poker with all the thugs that are holding her hostage and she's winning of course she's winning she's Madeline Kahn of course she's going to win and while all this is happening Clint Eastwood has changed into this guy's tuxedo and he enters they're holding Madeline Kahn on the second floor. So he tells everybody else to get out of the whorehouse. And Burt Reynolds has at this point taken care of the guard on the roof and is now shimmying down a drain pipe. I don't know why he had to shimmy down a drain pipe since he walked up the building. But anyway, he shimmy down the drain pipe and he crashes in through a window in the whorehouse. And there's this woman in a red riding hood outfit and there's this guy tied up in bed as the big bad wolf. I'm going to say, this to me is, the, the, I don't want to say the low point. I have enjoyed it. But this was just, it, this, it was just weird. This stands out because after this, Burt Reynolds dresses up as the big bad wolf and starts going through the whorehouse. It's silly. And I don't mind silly if we had, cause, but we haven't had this kind of silly up until now. This movie hasn't programmed us to be silly. So now when silly comes out of nowhere, it just stands out and I don't really care for this scene. 
not only is it a silly scene, but they follow it up. Okay, Burt Reynolds is in the wolf outfit. And then they do the old gag where he goes and he's looking for Madeline Kahn. So he just opens doors and women scream. And he opens another door and you hear a horse. So that is an old tired joke. They follow the silly scene, which I don't like, with one of the most tired jokes ever. Clint Eastwood and Burt Reynolds stumble into the room where Madeline Kahn is. And they beat up the guys holding Madeline Kahn. And Madeline Kahn is safe. And they're walking outside of the whorehouse. And now Leon Cole shows up. And he has Abby. He's kidnapped Abby. This movie can be a little repetitive too. Rip Torn kidnapped Madeline Kahn. And Leon Cole has kidnapped Abby. So they're just sort of repeating themselves in this movie. Leon Cole pulls up, he has Abby, he goes, I'll trade Abby for the Ledgers. And Burt Reynolds is about to do it, and Clint Eastwood says, hold it! And Abby gives him a look, a look that would melt steel. But Clint Eastwood comes to his senses, and they make the trade. The Ledgers for Abby. So now Abby is safe, and Madeline Kahn is safe, and it looks like Leon Cole is going to get away but as he slowly drives away, the suitcase exploded. There really was dynamite in that suitcase. Which is fine, but how did Burt Reynolds know that could have that could have exploded in a populated area? It could have exploded in their face. I don't know, because obviously there was no timer on it. Because we never see him set it. And I don't know, it must have been operated when you open it up. That's when the dynamite would go off? What if he's around a bunch of innocent people when he opens? That, that's, yeah, uh, that, that doesn't sit right with me. But both bad guys are dead. Both women are safe. Both heroes look great. And now we're back at the club, and Irene Cara has recovered from her car accident, and she's singing, and we get the scene of Clint Eastwood playing piano because I believe in every movie that there is a piano, Clint Eastwood has to play piano in it because he loves to play piano. And Burt Reynolds tries to bury the hatchet with Clint Eastwood and uh, Clint Eastwood calls him Shorty. And he's been calling him Shorty the whole movie. And I have to give credit for this. Burt Reynolds, uh, I think is like he was only like 5'8", five, 5'9", five, without his boots on. And Clint Eastwood is about 6'4". And I know act, a lot of actors are weird about their height. So for Burt Reynolds to let Clint Eastwood call him shorty throughout the entire movie, I think, I think that says something about Burt Reynolds. He's comfortable in his own skin, or he was at that time. But the weird thing is, he keeps calling him shorty, and... Then these, there's these three guys who are shorter than Burt Reynolds. So even if Burt Reynolds was okay with him calling Shorty, the character Mike Murphy was not okay because when these three shorter men than him show up, he starts calling them Shorty. And there's a big fight, and the doorman, who looks like the Sears Tower, starts to beat up uh, Burt Reynolds. And during the fight, Burt Reynolds spills a drink on Clint Eastwood. This sends Clint Eastwood off. Both Burt Reynolds and Clint Eastwood, they wander out into the street and they start insulting each other and that's where the movie ends. And that was City Heat. And what did I think? 
I really enjoy this movie. And this movie has 22% on Rotten Tomatoes. I do not understand that at all. There are a lot worse movies out there that have a better score than 22%. Clint Eastwood is good in this movie. Burt Reynolds is good in this movie. We have a ton of excellent character actors in this movie. As I said, there's not a lot of superfluous scenes. It gets silly a couple of times, and maybe there's a little, a couple of redundant plot holes in it, but for the most part, this is an enjoyable period piece from the 30s. The movie looks great. The costumes look great. The cars look great. The buildings look great. They really captured the feel of the 30s in this movie. I cannot understand why this movie gets so much hate. I am here to promote this movie. If you see City Heat, pick it up. Watch it. I feel you would not be disappointed. And that's all I have to say. I want to thank you for tuning in, and I'll see you next time here at the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson Podcast. To support this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com slash Scott White and give what you're able. If you're listening on iTunes, please give a review. This should help people find the podcast when they're searching. Uh, no matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. Thank you for listening to the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. I'll take it from here, Tuck. Good luck in your radio career. Where are we going? Oh, out there, huh? Fine with me. I need a lot of room for you, pal. Yeah. You know, I looked up Neanderthal in the dictionary. There was a picture of you. <laughs> Where about? Right here. That's good for me. I don't know what Addie sees in you. You know, she should go out with humans. I was wrong. What? You can't take care of yourself. Oh. They wrote a song about you. Oh? Brother, can you spare a brain? You want to know something? What? You'll always be shorty to me. Give me that city heat where the playing is tough The loving sweet and the living is tough Those beat up streets to keep a call in your name saying just